It's time for episode 41 of the Clockwise Podcast from your pals at IDG, recorded June 11th, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Clockwise, a podcast that likes to talk while the clock ticks. I'm Jason Snell, your co-host, and sitting across the country from me is my co-host, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. That's a bit of a tongue twister, that intro line. I w- I've been saving that. So you've, been, 40, you've been working on it all day, like in front of the mirror? 41 episodes in, I thought we, would, we could drop that one out there. <laughs> so let me introduce uh, the guest to my left in our exciting Clockwise format. That is editor of Macworld. Mr. Dan Miller. Hello, Dan. Hi, guys. You are one of two Dans on the show today. Yes. It happens a lot here. It happens an awful lot around here. This time I get to be in charge of you instead of the other way around. Just desserts. (laughs) (laughs) And to my left is Melissa Riofrio, executive editor at PC World and TechHive. Hi, everyone. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for being on the show again. Delighted. We're always so happy when people show up on the show again because it means we didn't scare them off the last time. <laughs> I don't know, Dan. Sometimes I just be- invite people to the podcast. I don't give them a choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be the king, Jason. That's perhaps a little <laughs> bit too much behind the scenes. Uh, all right, so let me explain how this works. This is a podcast we uh, where we value your time. We keep it to 30 minutes or less. We talk about four technology topics in a little roundtable discussion, and then we break and never speak of it again. Since I am the uh, guy who read the tongue twister at the beginning, I will go first, and here's my topic. It's been a week since Apple's developer conference wrapped. We actually had our lovely special guests last week in studio, uh, Stephen and Mike. Um, and uh, so now we got it in our rear view uh, for for um, for this year. And I'm wondering, where do we go from here? Sort of, what's the thing, the single thing about Apple that you're kind of most interested in, whether that's something that came out of the keynote last week, out of the sessions, or is something that you didn't see and you are looking forward to next from Apple? Dan Miller, what do you think? Um, well, I'm going to start with a pretty geeky one, actually. Um, they announced this thing, HealthKit, which is the uh, infrastructure they're going to have in iOS for dealing with all the health data that you can collect from uh, fitness apps and other things. And and just to get even geekier about it, the thing that it really interests me about it is how that's going to connect to uh, the software and data from Epic, which is a, an electronic medical records company. Um, I say that because I've I've dealt with uh, with doctors at places like Stanford Medical Center, where they have this completely integrated system of medical information, where you can walk into a doctor's office and they have every record, every record of every interaction you've ever had with the medical system, and that's all based on Epic software. So, I've seen their stuff in action. It's really amazing, and the possibilities that that having access to that data or plugging into that data from an iPhone, I think it's the possibilities there are really kind of incredible uh, to me. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what developers do with that. There are there are a ton of really interesting things, as Dan mentioned. HealthKit, HomeKit sounds really cool, kind of a similar thing, but for your home. Um, I think the thing that I'm most interested in is sort of, I'm going to be the, uh, not exactly the naysayer, but I'm, I'm interested to see the other shoe drop, which is to say, we saw all about software, which is great, and it's sort of laying out like what you can do with all the devices you've got now. But part of me still wonders about what's coming down the road and how will these new software platforms work with whatever new devices Apple chooses to roll out next. Uh, we've still seen some rumors that 
Uh, an iPad might offer some like a split screen mode, letting you look at a couple apps at a time. They kind of address that in uh, iOS 8 with the ability to like uh, table your draft and go look in another email, which is a huge frustration of mine. So I'm glad that they addressed that. Um, and then, you know, obviously the iPhone, you know, the next iPhone to come down the road here is going to be uh, an interesting one because it's, uh, you know, where are they going to go from here? What are they going to do to take advantage of all these iOS 8 features that they've discussed? Um, how is that platform and, and things like continuity going to affect how we use our devices? So I, I think that this is a really interesting, you know, laying the groundwork for the next generation of devices to come. And, and like Dan, I'm sort of waiting to see where that goes, both from a developer and a hardware angle. Uh, what I think uh, was most interesting was, first of all, the... Um efforts they're making to integrate their devices so you know your iphone stuff can show up on your mac and things like that i mean that's uh that that i found to be incredibly useful and intriguing um to dan morin's uh, point about the hardware when i think about the next iphone uh, i look at some of the other phones that are out there the bigger phones the rumors that amazon's going to come out with a phone that uses gesture control did everyone see that crazy video where people are like nodding their heads at their phone Mm-hmm. A, a, an undisclosed item that's underneath and, uh, yeah. the yeah, an undisclosed item, which I'm quite sure is not like a teddy bear. Yeah, so that um, would be amazing. That would be cool, <laughs> but in you know the iPhone technology, it's not big. It's not necessarily going to do 3D or a gesture. We don't know, but all these other phones are rumored to be coming out with this. And so when I think about the next iPhone, I think about well, what are you going to be doing? So uh, I'm in. The depths of uh, playing around with OS 10 Yosemite right now. So that aside, because boy, that is occupying a lot of my brain space at the moment. I'd say uh, piggybacking on a little bit of what Dan and Melissa said, th- there were a couple items at the developer conference that seemed to me to to be uh, hinting at where Apple's going in terms of hardware, and those were the um, the they, there was a session they were talking about widescreen. Uh, like holding your your phone in landscape mode, which with the current iPhone, I don't know why you do that because, I mean, nobody, it's very rare that you'll, other than games, you'll see apps that will rotate in that direction because it's not a particularly pleasant experience. And I listen to them talk about all these new layout controls for developers that let you have your layout be liquid and fluid and move around and all of that, and that they were really working hard to make good widescreen phone apps. And I thought, well, there's got to be a much bigger screen iPhone coming because the current iPhone screen, you wouldn't put any effort into that. So I think that's interesting. And then the other thing is they they talked about this feature that lets you, you know, there are these existing game controllers that you can sort of snap an iPhone into. And, um, in iOS 8 and uh, and I believe in Yosemite, th- this, this is all now set up where you can use that iPhone with that snapped into a game controller as a game controller on for an iPad or Mac that's playing a game. And I looked at that and thought, if they're going to ever turn the Apple TV into a gaming system, this is going to be how they're going to do it. So I felt like there were some things that might or might not actually come to pass, but seem to augur some interesting things for Apple's hardware in the future. So I think, I think uh, that's what I'm intrigued by is the little hints that they may be, you know, little faints in the direction of where we might see some new hardware. All right, that's my topic. Thank you all for participating. Dan Miller, what's your topic? Well, uh, going back to WWDC, I was talking to a developer about some of the announcements, and and he was saying to me that, that many of them, especially the new Swift programming language, 
could actually attract new developers to Apple's platforms. And and I have to admit, and he said, and that means, you know, more developers means more apps. And I have to admit that my first reaction, my first silent reaction was, oh, God, no, please. Um, that the even, you know, I, I think I'm trying to remember the number that, that Tim Cook threw out there in terms of the number of apps now in the App Store. And it's it's, you know, some ungodly number. And the difficulties that I have trying to find new apps, trying to find apps that, that I might want to use, say, for my to-do manager or my calendar replacements or things like that, the, the discovery tools that exist now in the App Store and how inadequate they are, and I know that Apple's introducing some new ones that could make that better, but, but it's already an overwhelming uh, uh, ecosystem. And I just, I, I guess I wanted to, to just put that out there to say, you know, what do we do about this flood of apps that are out there already and, and just this gargantuan number of things you have to sift through to find things you might want to try out? So I just want to throw that out there and see what you guys thought. Well, yeah, to your unspoken question, yeah, there's too many apps. <laughs> Let's just stop. No more. We're done. Um, I, I think that it's discovery is a really big problem. I, I don't think that necessarily having more apps, I mean, it certainly causes more noise, but I don't think over the, you know, in general, it's a bad thing because, you know, there's a, there's a breadth and a depth to the app store that really is unmatched by most other competitors in the market. Last time we saw something, I think this, an ecosystem, this rich in apps was probably windows, right? Like, you know, the sort of heyday of windows in the nineties where just everybody, there was a windows app for everything. Um, and so that certainly, you know, bolsters iOS as a whole, as a platform, you're absolutely right that the problem is finding the things that are good or finding the things that you want to use. Uh, and, and I find that's particularly difficult because if it's, you know, everybody knows if you're looking for even some, certain types of apps that Dan's talking about, like calendars and to-do apps, there's a lot of them. Finding the good ones is a problem there. But I find a problem also with finding apps that I just didn't know existed that do cool things or that are for really niche things that I do um, that, you know, other people just may not be very popular because it's just not a task that is very popular. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of like stuff related to gaming apps that I use. It's like, you know, not actual games, but stuff that support like tabletop gaming stuff that I do. Like that's kind of a niche area because it's not a super popular or super big money maker, but at the same time, having access to those sorts of utilities can be really, really handy for supplementing things. So I'm sure that's true of, of people who do a number of things, whether, you know, hobbies and other activities that they do and, and finding those things can be tough. And really, it comes down to word of mouth for the most part. You hear somebody you know who's interested in similar things say, hey, I, there's this really cool app for that. Um, and in some ways, that's unbeatable. You can never do any better than that. But there's definitely a chance for them to improve on search and sort of finding things by discovery and serendipity. And I'm hoping that some of the announcements they made at WWDC will go a long way to helping that. So even though I work at PC World, I do have an iPhone 5S, and uh, I find the App Store utterly overwhelming and daunting. Mm -hmm. However, it's the only app store that I'll go to because I find the Android apps to be frightening and chaotic, and there aren't enough Windows phone apps for me to even bother. Well, it's a nice and pleasant, well-lighted, empty space. <laughs> yeah, um... Uh, saying are, are there too many apps is uh, I mean I know it's silly because that's like saying are there too many songs or are there mm -hmm. too many books or too many stories it's just, you know they're they're all going to be a little bit different um, I, I've heard tell I've heard rumors that maybe Apple is now post developer conference uh, uh, embarking on a, a, a new approach to curating I mean first off the editor's choice 
badge that apps are going to get is going to be a big deal because presumably you'll be able to filter by that. And th- those are editors inside Apple picking apps as being exemplary. And that's really creating, in a way, a two-tiered app store. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a feature at some point to uh, prioritize or even show only editor's choice apps if there's, you know, float those all to the top, right? Uh, and then I think that they will probably embark on a, a strategy of deleting more actively or, or making inactive or nearly invisible a lot of the junk apps that came in during the gold rush, which are now things that haven't been updated in years and don't run very well. Um, I, I downloaded an app the other week that uh, doesn't have the height for iPhone 5. It's still like an iPhone 4 screen. It's like, why is that even allowed in the store anymore? <laughs> and I think it isn't allowed. I think you, they couldn't update it again without fixing that, but it's still there, and that seems wrong. At some point, I feel like that's abandonware, and they should just kick it out of the store or make it almost impossible to find. So I've heard tell that some of that is going on, and I'm encouraged by that because I think that's that's uh, that combined with something like this Editor's Choice program, you're you're ideally you're trying to let it be a free market in a way, but also steering it toward the stuff that's not going to be crappy. Yeah, and and for all I know, Apple already has some sort of evolutionary tools in there where you know they they have some kind of survival of the fittest mechanism where they are getting rid of apps. Um, but I think if they don't, it would be great if they did in that same way for things that aren't getting downloaded or that are haven't been updated in a long time. I think it'd be really nice to sort of let them. Well, just disappear them. And uh, I agree with the other Dan that, you know, 90% of the apps I use are things that have uh, that have come with personal recommendations, maybe on Twitter, maybe on the setup blog, different places where people I trust or people I respect have said, this is a good thing. And, you know, and I get calls from developers saying, how do I get my app and, you know, more attention? And I say, well, if you can engineer uh, social media pickup, that's your best bet because you got to get it into the hands of people who have influence on social media. All right, Dan. I think it's uh, Dan, other Dan, Dan Morin, co-host Dan. It's your turn. Thank you. Um, so I've been following some of the news coming out of E3 this week, which is the big video gaming convention, and I've been sort of glued to my computer as uh, you know the heavyweights like Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo took the stage and talked about all the nice gaming lineups they have. And there's definitely some titles I'm intrigued by and some development there. I find you know I'm right in that that spot where I haven't upgraded to a next generation console. But I'm kind of thinking about it. Maybe that'll happen next year because that seems like when the cool games that are really going to exploit all the power will finally come out. So I'm curious from you guys. I don't know if you're gamers or not, but if you have been sort of paying attention to that, if there's anything in particular that you've been interested in, and if not, is there anything that you feel like, you know, the gaming market say, hey, the gaming market's just not addressing this, and that's what I would really find interesting. So what do you think? So uh, having uh, covered E3 for PC World, I can say that the two most exciting things to me are seeing the Steam machines start to come out. This is a open source gaming platform that has been talked about for several years. And um, a couple of companies uh, came out with the first machines at the show. Um, <clears throat> the Steam controller that's supposed to be used with these machines isn't ready yet, but um, very, very exciting to see these low-cost, really powerful um, PC-like consoles come out. And then um, I just have two more words, um, and it's about PC games coming out. Grim Fandango. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yay! I was going to mention Grim Fandango. My pal over on the Incomparable podcast that I do in my spare time, Steve Lutz, who I went to college with, is a huge fan of this game. And the idea that they are bringing back the old, this was, these are the old LucasArts games that they made a deal with Disney, who owns the intellectual property, and they're going to do a remastered version of Grim Fandango, which presumably 
could lead to other of these classic adventure games being brought out for modern platforms. I, I was definitely, it, it is exciting to see that. Uh, John Syracuse, my colleague from that podcast as well, would like to point out that The Last Guardian is still not coming out. And that's been out there for so long. It may soon be as old as uh, Grim Fandango <laughs> and having never existed. I, I was going to mention, I don't have any next generation consoles either, Dan. Um, although I did just, I actually, red alert, I, I bought a Wii U the other day uh, because I wanted to play Mario Kart I, 8. And it's the Mario Kart 8 disease, yeah. It, it, <laughs> and because um, I didn't want another box in the house, and that's the only next gen console that plays the old version's games. So I've got all these Wii games I don't want to give up that my kids is, still play. Is it a next gen console? You could do it. Maybe that. It's, it, it could be. Yeah, I, I was going to make the joke. I've, I've got. Uh, the last I've collected the last of my last gen consoles because now I have an Xbox 360, a PS3, and a Wii U. Zing! Uh, but anyway, I'm intrigued a little bit by the PlayStation TV, which has been available overseas and is coming to the U.S. for $99, as our own Brad Charkas reported on Tech Hive and PC World. I, I'm intrigued by the idea that it's going to play kind of uh, PS Vita games, and then it'll also do like streaming from your P- PlayStation 4 in your house, so you can play on a different TV. I, I think it's a cool idea that Sony is coming up with this kind of combination. You know, basically it gets it gets your PlayStation content on another device. I think that's a cool idea. Uh, as I've said on this, I think on this very podcast before, <laughs> I am I am not the the target demographic for E3. Uh, <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the casual gaming side of the fence. Um, so I, we don't have a console. We don't have anything like it. I learned a long time ago. I have to stay away from these things because if I don't, I will lose my danger. Life. Yeah, <laughs> I will lose my life to them. So I just I just stay away. Just say no, Dan. Is what I we're just saying. Say no. Just say no. I just play threes. But what can they do to earn your love, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> a console version of threes? That would yeah. be silly. Uh, they have. Yeah, it's coming in. Really? Oh yep. God. Xbox is doing a console version of threes. Good lord. Wow. Yep. There's something for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, that's good to know. Uh, I'm kind of you know a lot of the announcements I saw came out. I, I have an Xbox 360. But the PS4 stuff, I agree with you, Jason. It seems like they're doing interesting stuff, and everything I've heard suggests the graphics are better, and there are a couple exclusive titles coming there that I'm more interested in. And I must admit that, though I've played most of the Halo games to date, I'm not as sold on that. I will say the one game that I'm really kind of interested in, if you haven't seen the the trailer for No Man's Sky, which is a space exploration game where all the worlds are created procedurally as in like as you discover them they are like randomly generated um but once they are discovered they are accessible to like other players in the game um so like the universe gets mapped out as people explore it, which sounds fascinating and really cool there's an awesome trailer for it maybe we'll put a link to it in the show notes yeah that's great cool that's all i'm looking forward to that and is that a that's a that's a playstation it's coming on game. pc ps4 first yeah. and it will probably be on pc because almost everything's on pc yeah Awesome. Pregnant pause. <laughs> All right, Melissa, what's your topic? My topic is the Google Autonomous Vehicle prototype that was trotted out uh, a little while ago. Very Let's cool. climb in. Let's climb in. Some people think <laughs> it looks like a koala. Some people think it looks like a sad clown. But... <laughs> What I think is really fascinating about this car, if anyone's seen it, is that it's got two seats and some seat belts and no controls except a start and stop button, I think. And um, what's interesting to me is that 
people are fascinated by the idea of autonomous self-driving cars. Oh, isn't that cool? Oh, I saw the Google self-driving test car on the freeway. That was so awesome. And what I think is really funny is that so is that Google really took it not just to the next level, but like three levels up with this prototype and said, here it is, people. This is a self-driving car. And guess what? That means that humans don't drive it. And I think a lot of humans find that disconcerting. It's true, right? You're not going to have to control this car. I can go buy a Fisher-Price play car control set for you if that's going to make you feel better. But the car is driving you. You can be like Maggie Simpson in the opening credits of The Simpsons, right? You've got a little plastic wheel that doesn't do anything. I had one of those when I was a kid. It was awesome. I had one of those too. It was pretty cool. (laughs) It was super cool. But... um, you know, this is where it's going to go. You're going to program the car and say, I want to go here or there, and you're just going to sit there. But I think it's very disconcerting for people to think about the fact that they have no control. Discuss. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I, I, I actually just read, um, I read a story about autonomous trucks that I found fascinating because, I, you know, this Google demo is interesting, but I, and I think I mean, we've talked about this a bunch on, on, on the show in the past. I think it's unrealistic for what we think of as sort of like the core car experience. I think in the short term, it's going to be more like an auto drive you put on on the freeway or it's going to be something that works on college campuses with little shuttles or corporate campuses where it's a very constrained area and everybody's going 20 miles an hour in golf carts, right? That kind of thing. But this article I read about autonomous trucks, which if I can find it, I'll put in the show notes, was fascinating because truck trucking the paying the truck drivers is a huge expense in trucking uh, there are lots of, it's a huge part of the US infrastructure um, they have to sleep so the, the it's it's slowed by the fact that they're humans and have to sleep and they don't want to pay two truckers because then it'll be faster but it's that much more expensive and that trucks actually save a lot of gas by drafting uh, behind another truck because it cuts down on the wind resistance all of which points toward the idea that having autonomous trucks or having a truck convoy mm-hmm. that autonomous is convoy it's like mad max well, up in here well, well or, or a, a convoy led by maybe a controller or two in a control vehicle but uh, so there would be humans around in case there were issues but it wouldn't be like every truck has a guy in it and he has to pull over by the side of the freeway every 10 hours to sleep um, that really interests me and i think that's where this technology is going to go first it's going to be stuff like that that is outside of the mainstream it's not uh it's not for all of us but it will affect our lives in different ways because at that point, those trucks that we see on Interstate 5 and places like that up and down California, they're, they're more like big road trains then and actually might behave more rationally because they might be, know about the traffic around them as opposed to the crazy truck drivers who need to you know pass that truck that's going one mile an hour slower than they're capable of, which drive me crazy and that's a pet peeve of mine. So anyway, I'm looking for the autonomous trucks before I'm looking at my own autonomous car. And I, I think it's interesting just based, you know, because of people's reactions to it. I mean, I know my first reaction to it was, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to put my <laughs> life in the hands of Google. Have you seen their presentation app? It's terrible. <laughs> and, and yet Not the I same know, team, I think. I, I, I know that statistically speaking, humans are terrible at driving yeah. and, and that machines would in fact be more efficient at it. And, and I think there's something worse about being killed by an autonomous vehicle running into you than having a human run into you. There's something about that that seems like that's just wrong, even though we know that, that, as I say, machines would be probably much better drivers than humans are. But there's something about some out-of-control autonomous thing doing that than, than, than having another human being do it. So I think it's just interesting from, the, from, the, from our reactions to it. 
Yeah, I, I have a friend who's all about this. He keeps talking about like one of our friends was flying back to uh, she lives in in Wyoming because uh, she's going to school out there and she has to fly into like Colorado and then take a shuttle. And she's like, yeah, it takes like five hours to get home. My friend's like autonomous car. You'll just get in. It'll drive you home because you don't have to stop in all these different places like for the shuttle. You'll get home in like three hours. Um, and he's really bullish on this. Me, I like driving. So I'm a little less optimistic because, yeah, there's there's definitely, you know, evidence to support the uh, I feel like if everybody else had a robot car, I could drive much better. Exactly. Uh, I think that would solve all my problems and especially all the people who are talking on the phone. I mean, they clearly you think of driving as a secondary task. So, you know, if you're going to have your attention distracted, you might as well have the car drive for you. Um, but I think the real test is, Jason, we should we should pitch Google on inviting us out so we can do a clockwise podcast from the autonomous from the car. Auto- oh, my God. Podcast in a car in an autonomous car. Oh, you that is brilliant, Dan. Let's get on it. Awesome. Oh, or, here's or a, the autonomous truck convoy. Well, and, and, and this asks me this this raises a, a an ethical slash legal question. Can you drink while riding an autonomous car? I mean, if it doesn't have a steering wheel, you're not drinking and driving. You're drinking and riding. Yeah, that's right. Party cars could be the wave of the future. I think the question is, do you have to be competent to take over in the case of an emergency? But if they're like, but the if there's no car, steering there wheel, no controls, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, all you're doing is t- pressing a panic button to tell the autonomous car to pull over. Yeah. Then it's it's different. Something that came up on Leo Laporte's show the other week when I was on that I wanted to mention really briefly is the ethical debate of if your car is really smart and knows about all the cars around it, and you're going around a bend and there's going to be an accident, and it has to, and it knows that the car coming the other way has two people in it, and you're riding alone in yours, and it knows there's going to be an accident. Does it prior say, well, it's better if you die than the <laughs> other two people in that car, or is it like the captain of the ship, and it's like. Right. I'll do whatever I can do to save my person, even at the cost of other lives. And that's a mm. really scary idea that your car may be prioritizing whether it should save you or the other people in the other car. Paging Isaac Asimov. Yeah, I know. Do cars, <laughs> can cars follow the laws of robotics is yeah. the real question there. That's a great question. That's a great topic, Melissa. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Did we, did we satisfy you with our answers? It was great. All right. Awesome. Uh, well, we have just about, about enough time left for our bonus topic. The World Cup kicks off this week in Brazil, uh, which I can't think of without thinking of the song. Brazil. Yeah, anyway, I'm not going to sing it now, except for that part that I sang. My question to you is, are you excited about the World Cup? And if not, are you aware of what it is? And I start with Dan Miller. Um, no, not excited. I am aware of what it is. I, I look at it as my... What is it? Every four years. Every four years. Every four years. Knowledge. Every four years, I try to get interested in soccer, and I kind of succeed for a little while, and then I forget about it. So this is my every four years trying to get excited about soccer again. Time. It's like me and curling. Now I love curling, but I watch it once every four years. Dan Morin, what do you think? I have to fall back to the you know the the words of Sports Night. We've got the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, and because we've got soccer highlights, the sheer pointlessness of a zero-zero tie. <laughs> That's true. After the uh, group round, you, you can't have ties because it's a knockout round. So they just uh, keep on playing and then eventually go to kicks. Melissa, what about you? World Cup? Anything? Uh, not that interested in soccer, but very <laughs> interested in the culture of, of football in Brazil and how oh, yeah. if Brazil doesn't win the World Cup, that somehow the country will just go up in flames. Nate Silver's 538.com says that Brazil is a 50% chance to win the World Cup, which let me tell you, as somebody who likes watching these uh, statistical nerd uh, sport websites, that is enormous 
That is enormous because usually nobody, like going to the baseball playoffs, no team has more than like a 20%, 18% chance of making it through. Brazil has a 50% chance because yeah. nobody beats Brazil in Brazil. And Brazil is totally soccer obsessed, which is going to make this fascinating to watch. And like the Olympics, what I will say, because I am very much looking forward to the World Cup, I like soccer. I, I'm a fan of English Premier League soccer. Um, if you can't get excited about World Cup soccer, you can't get excited about soccer because it's like <laughs> the Olympics. It is the showcase of the very best people playing on the biggest stage for the highest stakes. And as the knockout stage goes, it, it, it just goes crazy. And everybody is so into it because for these countries, it's the biggest sporting event, bigger than the Olympics. Not true in the yes. U.S., but um, unfortunately, the U.S. is in the group of death th- this year, so they're probably going to get their hats handed to them and they'll tip their hats and then they'll leave Brazil. But uh, man, there's going to be some great soccer. And I, I encourage everybody to try it out there who is in the U.S. And everybody who's not in the U.S., you know what the World Cup is. So... <laughs> there i think that does it dan we did another one yep we got it in under the wire i think <laughs> Woo! that's right well i see under 30 minutes that's what that's what we ask so everybody out there thanks for listening and i would like to thank our guests to my left dan miller from MacWorld. thank you so much for being back on thanks for having me and to my left melissa ria frio from pc world and tech hive thank you for being back on It was a pleasure. Thank you. Now we're all going to climb in our robotic car and program it for Brazil (laughs) and see what happens. And until we reach Brazil in our robotic car, I am reminding you, watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. You say it in Portuguese. (laughs) Good question.